you know, often we find these these professors have got all these ideas ready to go and they're just waiting for someone to, to take it forward. So uh certainly first off I would wouldn't recommend trying to come up with a project, just just try and get one from someone who's got a really good research question with some, yeah. some really good uh research experience and, and, and let them sort of guide you the best way forward. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Medical Memoirs podcast. I'm your host Vasudev Zeva and it's my absolute pleasure to interview Mr Grant Nolan. Grant has recently secured the competitive job of a plastic surgery registrar in the northwest of England. I've always been curious about how people reach certain points in their careers, particularly one as impressive as plastic surgery. Listening to Grant's story, it's easy to be misdirected by his humble approach to work and life. However, As we take a dive into his journey into plastic surgery and explore his motivation for the specialty, we encounter a series of events which can only be described as the definition of strategic and tireless hustle, just a small window into Grant's genuine dedication to reach his current stage. With a keen eye for golden opportunities, Grant elucidates why he chose plastic surgery and divulges a behind-the-scenes narrative about how he achieved his impressive number of publications. We compare and contrast our trials and tribulations associated with hoop jumping and how to discern the best academic opportunities, along with how to achieve a good work-life balance, particularly as a plastic surgeon couple, as is the case with Grant. So, without further chatter from me, I really hope you enjoy this next excellent medical memoir. So, Grant, thanks for coming on this uh, this podcast. It's, it's honestly really, really nice to have you on here, and I'm glad we managed to squeeze it in. Um, so, Absolutely, you're actually yeah. on your nights, and I that's just incredible that you're doing a podcast just before your night shift but <laughs> so uh, it's the last night so yeah it'll just just be a blast it out um, yeah kind of adrenaline to get me through and then uh, and then and then moving on to the next job so yeah uh, it'll be good have you got a break before your next job then after tonight so I've got about a week off yeah so that'll be good nice okay anything good planned I'm gonna go to Ireland and oh nice family yeah check it out and just uh try and reset get ready for um st3 yeah no and congratulations on getting in because that, that's huge oh, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah, so thank you. As, as we spoke about before it, it was a bit of a grueling process and uh it sounds like you absolutely killed it man so uh, it's a hugely grueling process but um yeah it's just really rewarding to find those signs and then you know, uh, move on to the next step so it's, it's really exciting i can't, I can't wait Oh, dear. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so this is a perfect segue now to sort of tell us a little bit about you. Um, so who are you and you know what do you do? So uh, my name is Grant and I'm one of the core trainees in the Northwest. Um, I'm doing plastic surgery themed core training and just in the process of finishing that up and then moving on to do plastics uh, ST3 uh, from, from August in Manchester. So um, it's really been sort of, it's quite a late thing coming into plastics. Um, it wasn't always something I'd kind of aimed at or even, I didn't even think I knew what it was for, for a lot of medical school. It was something I kind of fell into and then just found it was uh, just really, really enjoyable. And I love the variety and the, the sort of the, the creativity side of it, I guess. Um, and it just kind of spiraled from there and then, and keep more training and come out the other side of it uh, with, with job, which is great. 
I love, I love how you said spiraled from there. Isn't this? It's been an upward trajectory. It's been, you know, success all the way. So ups, ups, <laughs> ups and downs, you know, plenty of downs, but you yeah, dwell on those less, I guess. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, you know, congratulations. Like I said, it's uh, it's it's huge achievement. So, um, what actually got you interested in plastic surgery? What what at what point did you think that's it? Was it like a specific event, or was it you know? So I, I came into plastics by a bit of an accident. Uh, so I, I thought I wanted to do ENT, and I was kind of gearing up towards that in F two. Um, uh, before that, I wasn't even interested in surgery. Actually, I thought I wanted to be to, to do maybe anaesthetics, but um, oh. having spent a bit of time doing the job and then doing the ward rounds, kind of has blew my mind. It's like right, you can just spend the day playing the theatre. So yeah, that's got to be the way forward. So I was on a kind of a journey thinking about neurosurgery, thinking about ENT. And I had uh, my last block of F2 was on GP. And I just, I did a taste a week to, to get uh, a week off GP. And I, I just, did it in, <laughs> just did it in plastics because I, I was thinking about doing an ENT job and it was paired with plastics. And it just, everything about plastics is, was just very exciting. So I think, you know, it took me a while to really get my, grasp my head around what it was, but Knows like burns, hand surgery, skin cancer, big free flaps, breast reconstruction, abdominal reconstruction, you know, lower limb trauma, open fractures. There's just this huge wealth of stuff in it, and it's and the really nice thing about plastics is, is that the surgery is really cool. So uh, I think one of the things that maybe made maybe made me less keen on ENT was I felt like a lot of it was a little bit more like procedure based, um, and you know, I really like the reconstruction side and that's about just kind of, yeah, after that I had to have a bit of a rethink and work out how I was going to try and make myself competitive because that was at the end of, right at the end of F2, so, so I didn't have a full training job or anything like that, so then it was just kind of working out how I could make the most of the time um, to, to try and be competitive and, and, and get a job. Yeah, and that that's a really tough process isn't it to get into CST plastics themed in the first place it's um you know real so jump think, uh so I think all whatever you want to do is, is pretty competitive you know mm. all, all the medical specialties as well all, and all the surgical specialties you know everything and even even in things that seem as less competitive if you want to do it where you want to do it then, then I guess you have to be competitive too sure yeah yeah so um I think it's just it's like look at the market or make sure it You've done everything you can, maximize the points we can, and be clever with your, try and be clever with your time and, and not actually duplicating work. But, um, yeah, just uh, and then a, a ton of practice for the interviews, um, <laughs> lots and lots of practice, yeah. Okay, um, so after F2, so when you when you eventually came to the to the realization that plastics was going to be the way forward for you, how did you then go about planning your journey to core training? Um, so a lot of time on NHS jobs, just trying to get uh, an SHA job first to really get some sort of nitty gritty experience. And then I did a, a master's at the same time in my F3. Mm. So um, I did that in, uh, and that was that was a bit, of, a bit complex trying to work, trying to combine the two. So I was trying to find a job in London where there was a, a full-time master's or potentially like a distance learning master's and then a job anywhere. Um, and in the end, I, I just interviewed for a job and told them that I needed it part-time so I could do this master's and they were very happy with that and they kind of adjusted this job role and I did three days a week 
um, at Charing Cross in, in St Mary's in London. And then every other Saturday, I did like a locals list with, with one of the uh, associate specialists. And then the other sort of two days was just just cracking on with my masters, which is also in, in plastics, and um, that that was at UCL. Mm-hmm. And how was how was it doing that masters? Was it quite a grueling process, or did you find it more rewarding? I mean, obviously it's going to be hard work, but was it quite a lot of reward to be gained out of it? Aside from it just being a, a, another degree, I say just another yeah. degree is impressive in itself, but you know. Um, so it was a, it's 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 a great it's a great degree, and it was you know a really fantastic experience. But there was a very a heterogeneous group of people on there so there was a lot of non-medics or on a plastic surgery masters which was oh, right. sort of um, a bit of a surprise to me so in yeah. some aspects like things like the anatomy was obviously quite quite easy in a sense because it was around the time I was doing MRCS yeah. um, and I guess other people found that that less natural to them because they hadn't as much experience in it sure. um, but yeah I, th- I think having it just all tied in um, which was handy, and as soon as you're kind of learning about something that you're interested in, it, it becomes a lot less, a lot easier to kind of get your head down and do the reading. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a, it's certainly a decent amount of work, and um, but it was really rewarding. You know, um, I got lots of sort of points out of it in terms of publication and things like that, and there's great support there. So um, so anyone thinking about it, I think if, if you're serious about doing plastics, it's a great stepping stone, and it gives you a lot. Of sort of toes in the doors to, to, to get things moving and get things going okay did you when you came to sort of interview stage did you talk about it was it a, did it feature in your interview at all when they were talking about you know your portfolio that station where they just scrutinize everything you've done and um, uh... I really wanted to be in but they they didn't ask me about it at all and they didn't really? even give it yeah there was wow. no questions on there's no questions there's no way to squeeze it in unfortunately I think um they got a bit wise this year on the interview and they, they weren't interested at all in kind of these rote answers on, you know, here's this project you've done, here's this audit project you've done, yeah. here's this master that they, they, they weren't interested, they, they kind of, st- they asked very different questions about kind of theoretical things. And, um, so it, it did get me some, a few points, but set and the, the process, uh, you know, I learned about stuff that I wouldn't have picked up otherwise. So I talked about we had a little session, for example, on facial reanimation where the facial nerve is, is irreversibly damaged and you have to sort of regenerate movement in the facial muscles. Oh, wow. uh, and that's just something you, you're not going to, I think, stumble across very easily. It's not done in a lot of centres. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think all those things, they just help you kind of sound like you, it makes you a well-rounded surgeon, I guess. It makes you know about the, the depths and the, the intricacies of plastics. Um, and then, yeah, you get physical points on the, on the portfolio session before having masks. But in terms of bragging about it, interview, no, that wasn't an option at all. <laughs> okay. So, so it's more, you know, outside of the interview process, it was really, really valuable and naturally gave you that point. But actually in interview, they, they didn't quite say, Grant, this, you know, masters is, is the thing that we want to talk about kind of thing. It was definitely yeah. more multifaceted, wasn't it? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Great. Okay. So, um, if we sort of backtrack to when you went to medical school, um, you mentioned you had a few ideas of what you wanted to do. Was there anything that you did at medical school which set you up really well for to to, to do what you're doing now, 
or do you, do, do you find you just, you know, went with the flow at medical school, weren't particularly geared up for, you know, portfolio from first year of medical school kind of thing. Uh, and then when you came, when you graduated, that's when this journey started. I think a bit of both. So I, I was always doing stuff as a medical student, but none of it was focused at all. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I did a, a BSc um, just, just before my medical degree. So I, I had sort of that and done a paper as, as my dissertation. Mm. Um, and, you know, I evolved in sort of little audit projects. So I wasn't, I wasn't gearing up for anything really at medical school. Um, I worked hard, but I didn't think particularly harder than anyone else. I think everyone works pretty hard at medical school to get through its stuff. Mm. So, uh, and then I didn't, I didn't really have any direction, you know, but a lot of the things I think in all the specialists, they all ask for the same thing. They all ask for generic stuff on audit, generic stuff on publications, presentations, um, teaching. So it doesn't have to be in, in any specialty. And, and I was kind of involved in all those things throughout so that more than just for an interest point of view and I enjoyed the teaching aspect so I was involved in that uh, quite a lot of medical school do teaching first and second years clinical skills like hand washing basic suturing um, and, and all these things that I didn't realise kind of just added on to applications so I was just I was just interested in things and it, it paid off a bit um, from from a surgery point of view I, was, I, I thought surgery was, was something that I completely discounted <laughs> <laughs> I think in medical school it's it's so boring. It's just watching people watching people do laparotomies. And, um, there's nothing there's nothing exciting about that at all. So <laughs> I, I'd really discounted that. But then I guess part of the thing is is about doing the job rather than just watching it. And it's hard to get a sense of these jobs. I think until you've actually done them. And even at F1 level, you don't get really much more experience. It's only at F2, or and then you have to ch- choose it. It's a bit tricky. Yeah, it's quite it's quite late, isn't it? I I found that when I was deciding about things, I had an idea that I wanted to do surgery during the sort of latter part of medical school. I liked the idea of it in early years, but I think it was only towards the end where I thought, oh, I probably need to start thinking about maybe what I'm interested in purely because I thought that was a good idea. And then I got to F1 and had a complete um, sort of. Uh, um, crisis where i was sort of thinking you know i don't want to do surgery anymore and i think that was more um because of the job itself as an f1 where it's a lot of service provision and it's very administrative by nature and so i sort of thought oh you know the all of these hours and i'm working i just don't really want to do it i want some time off i want a break and then i think i started to approach f2 and then did my actual GP placement and didn't particularly enjoy it because I think at the start of my GP placement, I was like, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to do general practice. That's it. And then I got I think that's to a normal about, process that we all go through. Like at some point, yeah. we try and convince ourselves something like, well, I think, you know, it does suit some people, but that, that, that easier job or something like, yeah, I can do that. And then you do it. And sometimes you just can't. So yeah. it's important to go through that process. Yeah, definitely. And it's that realization process where you think you've tried it. And actually, it's not not it wasn't for me. Um, and I think it was because I just found it difficult. I was just I, yeah, it wasn't for me at all. And I wanted something where which was very hands on, very skill oriented in 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 the way surgery is. And and so that was it, you know. And but but at that point, I was coming into sort of applications and felt like I'm just winging it because I don't feel like I'm completely ready. I've got everything there, and here I am applying in early F two. When I, when you almost imagine in your mind, 
if you weren't thinking chronologically that you'd be applying at the end of F2, just just because you'll be starting CT at the end of F2. You know, after F2 is finished, that's when your core job will come through. And then, um, or anything else that you want to do, you know, that's when you decide. But yeah, it's just, I just found it bizarre that it was so early on that I had to really figure out and get my portfolio ready um, and somehow kind of worked out at the time. But actually, even now when I'm thinking of ST3, I'm thinking that's actually not that far away. It's, yeah. They all spring up really fast. You know, it feels like medical school is just trundling along and then finals and bam, you're out into it. And then F1, and then straight away, you've got to apply to something in F2. But then, of course, loads and loads of people taking F3. I, I take yeah. F3, and I think sometimes it just helps just to kind of get that sort of sense. And, and there's no rush, really. Everything, all the applications allow for a year out at least. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it is. It's jumping from one to the next, the next two. You know, yeah. Years. So much hoop jumping. Yeah. Um, so, talking of hoop jumping, now you're. Um, your academic side of things was something that really inspired me and and we've we've talked about it in the past actually just um from 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 when i was sort of curious to find out how i could improve my own academic portfolio so when did your um when did you start building up your academic experience um i think that really began i guess during my my bsc so that was a very research-based bsc which I, which I ended up undertaking, and my dissertation was on very random stuff. But it was on it was at the Royal Veterinary College, and my dissertation was on uh, ostriches and how ostriches run. So, wow, uh, yeah, it was really random. But there was a project on there uh, in the structural motion lab, and there's a flock of ostrich that live in Hertfordshire that belongs to the RBC. And uh, I spent you know four months putting the, these little loggers on their back like accelerometers, uh, and then motivating the ostrich to run, which is code for putting a dog nearby and, and watching them sort of <laughs> flee to the other I was going to say, how on earth did you do that? <laughs> we tried, trying to motivate an ostrich to run is difficult, so we, we started by things like trying to run with them, like sometimes they just get excited and hang along, but after a while they weren't really going for it, so then we released the hounds on the other side of the fence, but um, that, that, that worked Pure quite fear well. then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and... Uh, so that that was that was kind of my first intro to, to research, and I just find it really fascinating. And you get this huge data set, trying to work out what we can do with it. And I think it's part of medicine that we don't really get much experience to. Uh, kind of, we have these stats lectures, but we don't really, you know, apply it. And until you apply it, you just can't get it. But I, I did really enjoy that. And then through medical school, I think I kind of dabbled in little projects, but I don't know. I, I find often that people come to you with these hard-formed ideas uh, and thinking, you know, trying to do, they've obviously got the best intentions and trying to do favours, but unless they kind of are publishing 10 papers or something a year, you know, I, I often find that they, they aren't able to give you the supervision to, to really take projects forward. And I was really fortunate in uh, my F3 in St Mary's that I met um, one of my mentors, which is Abby Jane, and I work with him lots, uh, so I just I work with him clinically. But then you know, he's huge at sort of this collaborative research. He set up sort of this collaborative research network with the Infrastructure Surgery Trials Network, and they're sort of a group of trainee-based uh, clinicians who are running trials um, 
of in like a grassroots kind of way. So one of the one of the first things they did was with the ninja trial, which looked at nail bed injuries and a really basic question, but should we be replacing the nail when we have a nail bed injury? Um, and we actually, there's, there's not much evidence for any, for any of it. No one's really done any studies on it. Um, there's lots of sort of surgical dogma saying that the nail bed sticks down, but no one really knows. And, and they ran a multi-center randomized controlled trial looking at this. Um, and he's just a, a great guy, you know, he applies to girls all sorts of time. He had an idea for a project and he was bringing me at like 11 p.m. like this new class <laughs> coming through. I was like, what have I got myself signed up for? But, you know, <laughs> the man's a machine and, and everything he touches gets public. Um, so I think if you can find these people who can really take you under their wing and all they want is people that are keen and, and motivated and will do, you know, do what they say they're going to do. Um, and if you can do that, you, you know, you really just be taken with them and just ride along on their coattails. And then I went from there to my master's and, and learned about just some really powerful tools, things like systematic views and mesh analysis. So I did some, uh, I did some master's modules on those and it just gave me these tools to be able to produce papers really fast. So that, that was a really a big turning point actually. I think, I think it's everything is a bit like a skill, but just having tried to write 10 papers or five papers before and then all the bounced back. But then with a bit of supervision from Abby, and the stuff from, from, from the masters, it was just started, things started getting accepted very quickly. Um, which was, I guess just, it's just practicing to me. But trying to get that supervision to get to that point was, was such mm. a struggle. That's, that's phenomenal, actually. Um, it, it sounds like it's got something to do with knowing the right person, but also being astute as to who that correct person is um, and and going with the flow with that person, showing some um enthusiasm and letting the process happen but also a bit of a learning process in itself isn't it and then it sounds like the masters kind of really refined your um skills in terms of undertaking research appraising research that kind of thing yeah definitely and i think almost one of the things i started doing at the beginning was trying to not have ideas because i think if there's an idea that i could come up with sort of right at the beginning of my career, something that's so obvious to me, then off, surely it's been obvious to someone else. Um, mm. And, okay, sometimes you stumble upon something that's, that's not, but I think in the main, rather than kind of think about these projects and driving forwards, you know, often you find these, these professors have got all these ideas ready to go and they're just waiting for someone to, to take it forward. So uh, certainly, first off, I would wouldn't recommend trying to come up with a project, just just try and get one from someone who's got a really good research question and some, some yeah. really good uh, research experience and, and, and let them sort of guide you the best way forward. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's really, really sound advice, actually. Um, I sort of had this revelation at one time where, um, because at, at medical school, I unfortunately suffered the, the, the fate that has befallen many a medical student where you get a project that is a completely it may be important to in some respects clinically but actually in terms of what you want out of it whether it's presentable or publishable it's a dud project it's not going to end up in with either of those outcomes but at the time you're like oh yeah it's a project it's cool you know i've been given something i will do it it's part and parcel of this particular module that we're doing and i was seeing people around me sort of present this poster that oral presentation 
get this published and i was like oh what is all this academia lark you know it's complete rubbish um because i don't think it was necessarily sort of i don't think the skill and and the curiosity was cultivated as it perhaps could have been um and so so i came across this revelation where i think it was either someone said or i just thought of it and i thought why don't i search for this person on pubmed why don't i see how many publications this supervisor has and actually more often than not it was zero and even though the project had all the drive behind it it was like yeah i've got this new technique that i'm gonna um i want you to collect all this data look at the 30-day mortality and other outcomes and and go and try and see if you can publish it and then when i look for uh supervision exactly as you said you know when when you want that extra bit of supervision it's just not there because they've never really done it before and it was yeah. a hard lesson to kind of learn um and i'd say at the time too little too late but it's never too little too late like there's always time to sort of pick up these skills but it felt like a, a real kind of oh damn i've been barking up the wrong tree for x number of years what have i been doing yeah yeah exactly and i've had so many false starts like that and you know people always promise things but they rarely deliver uh, and one of the things about Abby Jane is we just kept saying no to projects. I'd come to him and just say no. And I was like, what? why are we not moving anything forward? And he's just like, no, 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 no. And then when he says yes to something, you know that he's on something and he's got a fully formed plan. And and then you know, he guided me. And obviously the plan changes a bit, but I just took all his advice. And obviously I didn't agree with it, but I was like, okay. He's more, far more experienced than me, just do what he says. Um, yeah. And, and, and it has a, it did all get published in the end. So it, it was, yeah, like you say, it's purely supervision thing. And, and I think sometimes it's very easy just to get, to get used to saying yes to everything. And, you know, I think we all like to be yes men. Yeah. But you can certainly burn yourself out by barking up the wrong truths. And, and, you know, these people who come to you with these projects with the best of intentions. It's, it's not their time that they're putting into it. It's, it's your time. So your time, yeah. Um, you have to be, you have to be, you know, sure about you're going to get a decent investment or the reasons that you're doing it are, are legit. Definitely, especially when time's fairly tight in the sort of, well, entire really entire medical field. It's it's a time precious career choice, isn't it? Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The, the job is just yeah very busy yeah so where did you find so after you did your did your masters um and got some more experience and let's let's say you know education and and uh skill development in um your academic work where did you go from there then how did that sort of impact the last couple of years of uh, of your work and and your um research and things so then uh, I moved to Manchester for my course surgical training. So I was kind of finishing up projects with Abby, but he's in London and we still do some things that we're doing a systematic review and stuff. But I guess then you very quickly learn in each department who, who the people you know, producing the high level research are. And uh, there was another couple of academics in Manchester, so Adam Lee um, and Jason Wong, and they are really you know, churning up research real high level science research on tendons or nerves. Um, and I, I reached out to one of those guys for, for an academic uh, an academic 
clinical fellow job, which I, which I didn't get, but I still went ahead and, uh, and met Adam. And he's, he's a lovely man. And, and then we were thinking about a project and he introduced me to Jason. And then Jason Wong was, was, was planning to run a, a huge multi-centre flex attendant trial. Um, so uh, it's a bit of a bit of a strange story, but we had uh, so we had some time off in, in COVID, obviously. So we kind of got uh, in, in my hospital. We asked for basically need to, to just cover the night shifts, and everyone got stepped down a level. So I, I had an awful lot of time off, um, and uh, my girlfriend, who also does plastics, um, also had quite a lot of time off. So we were kind of putting our heads together, trying to work out how we could still move things forwards during this time when we couldn't really operating couldn't really prove a lot of things and one of the ideas we came up with was um, about flex attendance and these two different approaches of how they can be repaired so uh, one of them is essentially under local anaesthetic which is kind of a new approach called wide awake local anaesthetic no tourniquet and then there's the more traditional approach where the patient goes fully to sleep under general anaesthesia and use a tourniquet um, there was a lot of stuff coming out and it was quite Big, especially in the pandemic, because no one wanted to put patients to sleep there with that big COVID surge trial that said, you know, put people to sleep with COVID, but, you know, they, they may not wake up or they, you know, they have really excess 30 day mortality. So it was a very hot topic. And it just, you know, it seemed like a really solid idea. We're looking around for senior supervision. We couldn't really get anyone to bite, you know. Um, I know, you know, I was trying to speak to people in my department, trying to get someone, someone to see the author, and no one was really engaging at that time. So in the end, we just like, let's just go for it and let's just, just, just do it ourselves. You know, we, we've kind of got enough experience now to, to, to know enough. So, so we wrote the protocol, published the protocol, and the person who, um, reviewed the protocol was Jason Wong, the uh-huh. person who added it. It, it introduced me to and obviously because he's a, he's a leading expert in tendons and you're like right you know tendons what do you know and he, he he was running a trial on this topic so suddenly this was you know fascinating he wanted to be involved he wanted to know the results of it and interestingly that you know the RSTN the, the research group that Abby Jane was setting up they also wanted to run a trial on active tendons so it was a very hot topic and everyone was very interested in this, this project that we were running and I just kind of built on that and got this great working relationship with some guys in Manchester and sort of taking those leads forward. Just, and they've been really great in providing more ideas and you know more expertise, more support to, to enable us to, to, to move research forward. So a bit of luck, I guess. An awful lot of luck. <laughs> it's huge, though. It's, it, it's also that, just that connection. It comes back to the idea of it's that person that you know, isn't it? And in that example you you just said you'd already been introduced to um mr wong is that, is that right yeah that you said yeah. Yeah, yeah and um and so from that you kind of had that element of familiarity and suddenly that snowballed into this really sort of big scale successful kind of academic project which is just so cool i think that's amazing and it's and it's a really it's one of those sort of success stories where you get that domino effect of something actually blowing up and becoming really something really good yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, I remember him texting me just saying, yeah, uh, it's me reviewing your, your paper on uh, <laughs> on wide awake local anaesthetic. Um, and I was on holiday at the time. I was like, all right, uh, maybe we should arrange a call. And, and it kind of, it, it did, it grew and grew from there. And then we had this great idea about how, how you assess flex attendance. And that's kind of 
something which is very archaic. So at the moment we use basically a protractor to, to measure the angles and fingers mm-hmm. and kind of uh, and came to Jason with this idea about using um, artificial intelligence photographs and got in contact with some of the, some of the computer scientists at, at Manchester. And now we're looking at a new study where we take photos of people's hands and see if we can get the angles from them. So it's another wow. really exciting, yeah, it's another really exciting, I think that's going to be huge if we can get it to work. Um, Definitely. It will stop you know, people going to clinic unnecessarily. We'll pick up on who, who needs to go to clinic. Yeah. mean that we are able to kind of gain, gamify the whole flex attendant we have. So you could say, oh, you're doing this well, but, you know, last week you were doing this well, but this week, you know, you're five points ahead of 5% better. So people can get that feedback and see that they're improving and kind of rehab themselves potentially with an app if you one of the races can be taken definitely yeah no that that's that's amazing man that sounds really really cool actually um and it's all of that health innovation side of things in play at play uh, as well which is which is really 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 cool um and i think i like the the exciting part where um patients can almost take a bit of um a bit of ownership over their own rehab and actually at the minute yeah you've got qualitative um measures that that you feel subjective that the patient will feel subjectively but also objectively a physio can facilitate but actually you know with this sort of almost uh, artificially intelligent uh measuring tool or or you know measures your improvement that's that's really really cool it'd be brilliant wouldn't it yeah yeah it would really open things up and then and then the other expansion is you could then collect big data from if people start using that in different units, you'd have a huge database yeah. of how flexitenders are being repaired. And then you put in all the, the minutiae, okay, what what different repair techniques they use in this hospital, what rehab they use in this hospital, what splint they're using. And suddenly you've got a huge data that you can actually, you know, just let Ariane run, run loose on it and find out what, what really works and what, what are the pitfalls. Mate. Extraordinary! That sounds really, really cool. I think I can, yeah, I can, exciting. I can sense yeah, really Professor Nolan coming up. So uh... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think it's. Um, I, I think I still want to be a surgeon deep down. Like, um, yeah. you know, I, I do enjoy academia, but having spent the last two years really, really spending a lot, a lot of, a lot of time and effort on it, I think, I think I do just really want to nail down with surgery more but maybe it'll come back i'm not sure i think we only something to yeah at the end of eight years of surgical training everyone's pretty good at the surgery and maybe having extra strings to your bones is, is what we need so yeah we'll see but at the moment no plans as such i think i'd rather be a sideline character rather than, than leading it fair enough fair enough no absolutely i, I think i think i yeah I, I i feel feel that as well actually um not that i'm anywhere near as as uh experience but um but yeah I, th- I think yeah practical surgeon first and then academia on the side sounds pretty good um yeah no see how things go um so you mentioned also that your that your other half is um uh aspiring plastic surgeon as well or, or you know in going to be in training as well yeah absolutely yes so yeah. um we, we both got jobs in the same place which is which is really exciting um that's amazing that was a, a bit of a logistical nightmare, kind of looking at the, the numbers and tying it up and working out um, if there was going to be enough jobs in the place. But um, I guess the benefit was 
we went through the course of training at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. it's like having your best mate just to advise with. So it's very easy to 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 get work done, and, and then just in the cases she's done, and you kind of learn from each other all the time. So that's, that's been like, really really helpful. Yeah, it's yeah. um, yeah, it's exciting. You know, it's exciting to to, to be going down on that journey together. Yeah, no, that, that that sounds really cool, actually, because I think w- how you've described it as having your best friend to to bounce off with this journey is really, really nice, actually. that's That sounds really like a really cool thing. And, um, and I think you've also sort of answered half of my question, really, that I was going to say, how did, you, how did you find time? Because both of you are obviously working extremely hard to, to get onto this training program and gain all the experience required in you know core surgical training which is plastic surgery surgery oriented so how do you find time to sort of do all of these things and and did you find there were particular moments where you just you know just didn't see each other for ages or you know how did that play in um so we we initially planned to get jobs core surgery training jobs in manchester because there's there's jobs there with, with a lot of plastics in but we kind of fell short and we both didn't quite get them so I ended up in Liverpool and, and Alva ended up in Birmingham. Um, her first year was in Stokes we kind of lived in Manchester and queued it out and then she, she moved to Birmingham for the second year so certainly from that side from personal sense yeah, you know, it has been very difficult even part of the year. Um, yeah I guess you know that's one of the things about medicine isn't it you just have to yeah. get asked to do these you know it's just like medical school when you get sent six weeks to, for example, I got sent to Skegness for six weeks. You know, it's, just, <laughs> it's just part and parcel of it. Yeah. You get sent to these funny places where you need doctors everywhere. So, yeah, yeah, I think this is this kind of a common thing that we all experience. Um, and, yeah, it's just, uh, I think, though, we've certainly been able to connect a lot just because we have similar interests in that. And, and even when, you know, we're talking about work or something, uh, I'm, a, I'm a lot more interested in what she's saying and this and, and the same for, for her because it's like, oh, what's the learning point from this? Or what's this funny little case? Or can you believe this happened? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's nice to have that debrief with someone who, who firstly gets it and can, you know, just is interested too, but will also tell you, oh, no, we're just doing it completely wrong. And, and you kind of get a bit, <laughs> a, a bit of a feedback too. Or, all right, is that right? Uh, I think we should go read about that and then come back and say, all right, okay, kind of both wrong or we're both right or whatever so yeah it's, it's been it's been helpful yeah okay so this is yeah obviously you have those challenges but actually having that relatability is is a really nice aspect isn't it that can be added in um, and in terms of sort of achieving all of these other other things that you've um that you've achieved how have you managed to sort of juggle uh core surgical training with your academic work um you know have, have some things been you know, have, have they had to slip or be compromised in a way? Uh, I think so. I try. I try to be efficient. I think we all do. But you know, I, I, I was on the train, so each morning on the train, I get my laptop out and do, try and get as much work done on the way to work and on the way home. Uh, since, since getting a job, I haven't done that now. Just back to Netflix. But <laughs> at the time, yeah, I was very focused and just trying to make sure that I kept things moving. Try and be organised to do this, um, but you know, I think we all have a lot to do, and it's just about trying to prioritise and make sure that 
looking into them. In a sense, we were maybe a, a bit lucky with the pandemic, but we had so much work on and being sent just to do nights and then have lots of time off to do them. I never would have got stuff done. I was just completely unrealistic in, in my expectations of what I could have achieved otherwise. And I remember we were just going for a walk one day and we were like, this. You know, we both had huge projects going, but we hadn't even started, trying to do dissertations, etc. And it just, it just wouldn't have happened without COVID in a way. So I guess trying to use whatever, you, whatever comes away to your advantage uh, and trying to really make the most of the situation. It's a bit like if you're in a job which, which doesn't have, you know, very, maybe it's got a lot of senior fellows in it or who, who are taking it and operating, trying to work out what you can get most from that job. And certainly with some of my jobs, that was just academia. So that was what, what I kind of spent my time in. But I don't think that I ever really, I don't think I ever really stopped doing other things. You know, we still had meals, still saw friends, still saw family as much as, as much as we allowed to during that time. Um, some of the hobbies certainly tailed off a little bit and we're trying to get those back now. Uh, but, but yeah, try and sort of have a bit of balance and, and do it all. Probably a little bit over ambitious with, with things, but I think it's probably better to be that way than the other way. Yeah, definitely. So, um, what would your kind of, um, top tip be to somebody uh, to sort of juggle all of these things but do them very well what would your what would you say is the best advice that you can give gosh um, Put you on so the spot. I, yeah uh, I think it's really important to try and work out what you want from something so and then just just stick, stick to that so if it's a you know, quick audit just to get a cycle done then just do the VTE audit or the notes audit. But if you need an audit to talk about, then, you know, try and think about like a big audit or something exciting or a novel. Um, so I guess try and really work out what you want from it and stick to that. I think it's kind of, you kind of get mission creep a lot in all of these projects. And, and if you can just nail it down nice and early at the beginning and spend longer in the planning phase, I think you probably save more time at the end. And then just make sure that you got the right people around you who are able to you know, support you. You need somebody who's going to reply to emails quickly and you need to reply to emails quickly yourself, I guess, if you yeah. want to get screen forwards. You know, if you have somebody and you send them an email and you don't hear back for two weeks, the project's never going to get finished. The project's yeah. going to get moving forward. So, yeah, don't be, and the final thing, I guess, is, is don't be afraid to say no. Just, if your plate's full, just, just say no. In a polite way, you can always come back to it. But I think people prefer that rather than saying yes, stringing people along, and you know, being the person who it takes two weeks to reply to them. Yeah, that's really powerful. That's a really, really, really strong piece of advice there. Um, yeah, I think that's that's resonated with me quite a lot as well because I think there have been definitely been times where I've just said yes and actually haven't been able to, you know, complete something, and then it kind of just sets a really sour taste in everybody's mouth really because it's just exactly yeah yeah um mate that's we we've 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 talked about a lot and it's been absolutely fascinating um i just want to ask you a a question now so um what if you were stranded on a desert island and (laughs) you had to choose three things that you wanted with you what three things would they be and uh and, and why gosh so I think I would definitely take um, my laptop, 
just well, I assume it would have to have to then bring a charger of some sort. That's two of my items gone. Um, <laughs> I think a hammock would be really nice. Maybe just hammock and rum. Nice. Enjoy yourself. I guess you're on a desert island. Try and make the most of it. So uh, I don't know. I, th- I think yeah. Speak a hammock and rum. Perfect. There hope you go. A, hope there's some other people around to to bounce some ideas off it and get you guys off, or maybe just have a party there. Make the most of it. Maybe. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a metaphor for sort of getting through, isn't it? Just uh, just yeah. You know, have a bit of fun. Enjoy the ride. Yeah, 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 definitely. And the other thing that I would ask is, looking back at yourself, you know, when you were younger and um, way, you know, way before you were achieving what you've achieved, and if you were to sort of be able to talk to your former self, what um, one word of advice would you, or or what what advice would you give your prior self in a moment of, of, you know, real challenge that you may have come across? I think I would just tell them that it's all going to be all right and it, it, things will work out for you, especially as doctors, things just do work out for us. You know, we, we have stable jobs and we are well paid and we are going to be lucky to, to meet lots and lots of other great people that we work with and have a real community. So I think, you know, our... our uh, things that are important to us will obviously adapt and change different phases for medical school to foundation and core training or GP training and onwards and just go with it and try not to worry too much because it will all be okay in the end. Yeah, that's really nice. Really, really nice. Um, I've been reassured as well by that. So thank you. <laughs> it will be. It will be fine. Yeah, we'll smash it. it. We'll all get there. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Um, honestly, Grant, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and thank you so much for your time. Honestly, I, I, I know it's sort of uh, tight timing because of, of your nice, but I appreciate you taking some time out and uh, absolutely here. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you to Mr. Grant Nolan and thank you to you for tuning into the Medical Memoirs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give the channel a follow and share this episode with your friends. In the meantime, head over to vasudevzeva.com for insights into the world of surgery through my personal journal or follow at the Surgeon's Journal on Instagram to stay tuned with more journal posts, podcast episodes and general life in surgery. Thanks again and see you next time.